If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. To support the show starting at just $1 per month and access extended content and potentially join our Green Dreamer network as well, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. 90% of everything that we own is shipped on ocean freight. So if you look around you, literally 90% of everything in your room has been on an ocean liner and has a carbon footprint associated with it due to that. That was Danielle Doggett, the managing director of Sail Cargo Inc., which is an emerging freight company that's on a mission to revolutionize the cargo shipping industry with carbon-neutral sailboats. Stay tuned as we're about to explore the current environmental impact of the shipping industry, how her team is building a carbon-neutral cargo shipping boat that's aiming to be regenerative by design, and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. So I started sailing when I was 13 on the Great Lakes at a summer camp called St. Lawrence II. My grandmother signed me up because I had a lack of confidence. So I went sailing for eight days on this ship and came back and well, it worked a little too well. (laughs) I was hooked, completely hooked and yeah, have been basically dedicated to life on the water ever since then. I'm not sure if I've interviewed anyone who works in the sailing industry. So I'm wondering what you think uh, some of your unique perspectives are in terms of what are humanity's impact has been on the environment. Is there anything you feel like you've learned uniquely from working in the industry? Well, you can just tell very easily that there is a lot of direct pollution. Mm. So whether it's accidental or intentional, it's it's very obvious that, you know, it's called black water tanks. That's where all the sewage goes that just gets directly pumped into the ocean when you're, I believe it's 12 miles offshore. And there's all these regulations for when you're allowed to throw things in the water. So you're not allowed to throw plastic in the water at any time. 
but it's three miles offshore. You can start throwing paper and cardboard and things like that. And then I believe it's 12 miles offshore. You can start throwing tin cans and glass directly into the water and then also pumping your sewage directly over. Yeah. And that's how every single ship pretty much in the world will operate every commercial vessel. But those things don't biodegrade either, like the tin and glass and et cetera? Well, glass actually does. So it'll get broken down. Glass is absolutely natural and the cardboard is. And in theory, so is the metal. You know, metal is just mined from the ground. And so a tin can in theory will go back. However, they often now have a plastic liner, which is not taken into consideration. Right. And so that can be, yeah, you throw over this tin can, you say, well, rust, and actually it's a natural product, but that liner is synthetic. So, I mean, tin and the metals without the plastic liner, does that actually like disintegrate in the ocean over time? It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. Okay. So if you just picture like anything, yeah, you just picture, you know, a rusty tin can or rusty anything, or if you've ever seen train tracks or, or an old ship somewhere in a harbor or anything that's rusted away, it actually doesn't take that long. Mm. So within, I, I'm just estimating, but it could be only 10 years or so that a can would be gone or less. And how about the fact that we're dumping our black water into our oceans? Do you feel like that is sustainable? I do believe that at a small scale, it is sustainable because, you know, every fish goes to the bathroom in the water as well. But imagine a cruise ship, you know, or I know in, I lived in the island of St. Martin, they can have up to eight cruise ships a day, which is up to 80,000 people. So say somebody, those vessels just go 10 miles offshore, 12 nautical miles offshore, and they pump usually their tanks directly as soon as they hit that limit. And I I don't think that anything could could handle that in a natural way. Yeah, definitely lots more to think about in terms of what goes on out at sea that we may not think about on a day-to-day basis. And to set the stage and help us understand why sail cargo was started, can you share what environmental impact cargo ships today have and what this means for us as individuals and consumers? Absolutely. So this is just an interesting little piece of information I like to share, is that the 15 largest ships out there, container ships or bulk carriers, will emit the same amount of heavy carbon emissions or sulfur emissions as every single car in the world combined. And just to put this in perspective, there's over 50,000 ships in the active fleet in the world. And these vessels actually burn the heaviest, least refined type of fuel of anything on the planet. It's actually a byproduct of the oil industry. So when you talk about emissions from cars or emissions from planes or these sort of anything like that, the ship burns absolutely the worst fuel And so just to picture when you put fuel into your car, you can see if you spill a little bit, it's clear and there's really no dirt in it. And you can see that it's quite pure. So to picture the ship, the fuel that goes into the ships, it's solid at room temperature that you can walk on it. And does this go into the water as it's being used? So what they do is they have a huge fuel tank and I have not specifically worked on one of these types of ships of this size but I've read a lot and my friends have worked on many vessels. And so they have a whole other engine that burns much cleaner fuel that they burn first and get that engine warmed up first. And then that is actually a heater to heat the fuel, which you can walk on at room temperature until it's viscous enough that it actually begins to move. And then that's what they're going to burn, but it'll be comparable to your car. So you're going to burn something in in a combustion engine and then it will have emissions into the air. So it's not really that 
it's getting dumped anything directly into the ocean. However, the International Maritime Organization does state that they are aware that vessels do routinely burn like open barrels on their decks of all the impurities, like the sludge that's at the bottom. So yeah, <laughs> an interesting thing that I think people need to understand is that there are lots of regulations for within territorial waters. So, you know, you're standing in some country and, you know, you feel good, you have laws and regulations, but how far out does that go to sea? And the answer is very clearly 12 nautical miles. And so outside of those territorial waters, there is no governing body. Mm. It's kind of like how the United Nations does not have an army, so they can't enforce their regulations. It's the same with the Maritime Organization of the United Nations. Mm. So everything you said in terms of what's okay to dump certain miles out, all of that doesn't apply anymore once you go beyond the borders of what's considered a country's territory? It does. So there are regulations uh, written by the United Nations, like the International Maritime Organization, but there's no one out there enforcing it. There's right. no garbage police in the middle of the ocean. And before we go further, do we know what percentage of our goods today are shipped by boat versus by air? I'm not sure what percentage of our goods are shipped versus by air, but I am aware that 90% of everything that we own is shipped on ocean freight. So if you look around you, literally 90% of everything in your room has been on an ocean liner and has a carbon footprint associated with it due to that. It was my understanding that shipping by boat is a lot more eco-friendly relatively compared to shipping by air. But it sounds like there's still a lot of issues that we can address within the boat shipping industry as well, as you've just highlighted. Absolutely. So shipping is by far the most efficient method of transportation. So if you picture one container, most, most people can picture like a 20-foot container. The largest ship in the world can take 22,000 of those containers. Wow. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not sure what an airplane can take, but it's definitely, you can just picture the size of an airplane when you walk on it. It's not 22,000 containers. Mm -hmm. And so the airplane does burn some of the cleanest, most highly refined fuel in the world. So the carbon emissions or the other, you know, sulfur oxide, nitrous oxide are significantly less, but it carries so little amount that it makes it really inefficient. Whereas a ship burns the crudest, least refined fuel in the world, which is just a byproduct. It's not even technically fuel in the same way mm. but it's able to transport such massive quantities that it kind of does equal out that it is more efficient but if you really look at the health benefits of something like black carbon and how many people die pre premature death annually specifically due to black carbon from for example cruise ships i just don't think the whole picture has been considered equally well, in light of all of this, I understand that Sail Cargo is currently building a zero-emission cargo ship that is going to be vastly different than the modern cargo ships that we have today that you just spoke about. So where did the inspiration for this eco-minded cargo ship come from, and what is going to be different about it? The inspiration for Seba, our zero-emission cargo ship, absolutely came from a company in the Netherlands called Fair Transport, and they have a small vessel called Trace Hombres, and... That's where I met my co-founder, Lynx, just over a decade ago on that ship. We stepped on board in Dominican Republic and sailed 18,000 bottles of rum across the ocean with no engine. Mm. And they're definitely the inspiration. And they've actually started a movement. However, when, we, when I worked there on and off for several years, there were a lot of things kind of became apparent to me, including that it was not necessarily a financially viable 
plan that they had. So they are an extremely romantic and extremely courageous company that inspires and their mission is to inspire and they achieve that. But I really felt like to have a serious impact on the world stage, you needed to be a financially viable company that could actually provide return on investment to your investors. And so we took a look at how to make that possible. So taking all the lessons we learned from them very thankfully and gratefully, and then trying to move forward and adapt that into something that also gave back financially. And I know that you're currently seeking investors to help bring this vision to life and support the building of the SABA. What have you learned in terms of current market trends and what people want that leads you to have confidence that this is a project that would appeal to investors? Like, I'm wondering if there are numbers that prove that we're indeed on the right path to greening our economy, even in the shipping industry as well. Oh, we feel really, really, really positive about our investment opportunity. So we have over, just to give some context, we have over 130 investors from 25 different nations, and they range in age from 17 at the time of signing to 88. Mm. And really the only unifying factor that we can identify is that they all want to see a positive change towards a cleaner future. And to answer your question about if the market trends are moving towards a cleaner future, I would say absolutely. And something that really kind of blew me out of the water (laughs) was (laughs) that more than once we had people who wanted to import or export their products. We had more than once they came up to us and said, we have been waiting for you. Mm. That same sentence in different countries has been said to me. And it meaning that these people who are producers or importers did not want to import or export their product in a manner that burned carbon emissions. Right. So they valued they value their product in sometimes it's organic chocolate or sometimes it's turmeric oil or often small scale coffee really could be anything. They valued their their mission statement and they valued their product so much that they refused to ship it because it would be it would not be in line with their vision, mm. which would be having a cleaner future. And if you put the cleanest, highest standard coffee on a cargo ship or an airplane. It's kind of breaking your mission statement. And you mentioned that you've had to work around the cost to make it financially viable. Will shipping by sail cargo be more expensive than shipping by conventional cargo ships that rely on fossil fuels? So shipping with SABA and sail cargo will be more expensive than the cheapest forms of shipping. So those largest vessels that can carry 22,000 containers, we will cost more than that. But we will be cheaper, generally speaking, or in the market research we've done, we will be cheaper than air freight or trucking and cheaper than other comparably sized vessels, which are considerably smaller than the largest ones. Mm. So, and in a market research piece we did was looking at taking coffee from Costa Rica up to Victoria, British Columbia in Canada. And at the end of the day, we worked it out that it would cost approximately 70 cents US more per per kilo, so 2.2 ton, 2.2 pounds it would cost about 70 cents more at the end of the day on the shelf to the end consumer and we asked people up in Canada in in British Columbia would you pay this for this service and we asked roasters distributors and just people who would buy coffee and unanimously every single person said yes they would pay this price and many people also said that they would they would pay more for the service because they value having a clean carbon footprint 
That's so exciting. And I would definitely chime in and say yes for myself as well. But I would love to hear more about this uh, net zero carbon emission piece. So what are you doing that's allowing it to be net zero? I understand it's like the the sailing aspect of it. So it doesn't have an engine or how does that work? So we will have an engine. We will have a 100% electric engine, which is primarily there for auxiliary purposes. So if there's an emergency or there is absolutely no wind or we're trying to maneuver within small spaces within a port, we can use that electric engine. But we will be primarily sailing vessel. And just to put things into perspective, Seba is not huge. At 148 feet overall, we can take the equivalent of 10 containers. And compared to one example I have of an 8,000, a vessel that can carry 8,000 containers, they would burn between 150 and 225 tons of heavy heavy carbon bunker fuel every day, mm. and we will burn none. Uh, and the interesting thing about how we power the electric engine is actually using our dual propellers to recharge the batteries. So it's actually a 100% wind-powered vessel. So when we are sailing and there's sufficient wind, we can actually charge using those two propellers, which will create some drag, which we can control and charge up those batteries so that it's, yeah, it's 100% clean energy, wind-powered vessel. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. And what are most ships made of today? And what are the reasons that Sail Cargo has decided to revisit our older ways of shipbuilding by using wood? Most ships, almost all ships today that are commercial are built of steel, which is an iron alloy. And that comes directly from iron ore mines. And we decided to go with a new built wooden vessel to show that something can be truly regenerative and emission free or at least carbon neutral from its outset. So we wanted to look at the complete lifespan of a ship because especially with shipping, there's not a full cradle to grave perspective on what is the impact of the vessel through its whole life. And so we wanted to look from kind of the birth, if you will, of a ship which comes from deforesting the Amazon and going and mining to getting that out. And then the life of the ship with all of its negative impact, environmental and social, and then kind of the death of the vessel, which is a whole other topic about ship breaking. And so that's basically a very negative story. And we said, this doesn't have to be like this. We want to prove that it can be regenerative and healthy and organic. Mm. So when you look at the lifespan of Seba, it comes from selectively choosing species of wood that are non-endangered and then emission-free sailing for the whole lifespan. And then when it does come to the end of the life of the ship, those are primarily organic materials and the, the metals used in the engine can be recycled. So it's, it's really trying to show from the outset that it can be well, regenerative and organic as much as possible. I mean, sustainability to me is not necessarily about not taking anything from nature, but beyond taking less and prioritizing our needs, it's also making sure that there's a balance in terms of what we're taking and what we're restoring and regenerating as well. So given that your team is cutting down trees to build a ship with, how are you ensuring that there is this balance of regeneration? So we have a very intense focus on that. We have a tree planting scheme where we've planted over 1,800 trees to date. And we've taken approximately less than 200 trees to date for the ship. And we also have an in-house vivero, which is tree nursery. Mm -hmm. And so we do also grow our own trees. So we work with third-party established tree planting organizations, as well as we ensure ourselves that we are 
we know we're planting trees as well. Mm. As well, that's one of the main reasons we're actually located in Costa Rica is because they have such high environmental standards. One of the beautiful things about this country is that their forest is actually growing in volume every year, whereas most countries, their forests are decreasing in volume every year. And that's thanks to their high environmental standard. So they have a lot of protection for the trees and every single tree needs an environmental permit to be cut and transported. And Mm -hmm. so every single tree we cut has that permit. We also know that mature trees can sequester a lot more carbon dioxide than smaller and younger trees. So I'm wondering if you've decided to plant a lot more back than you take to counterbalance the fact that it will take time for the seedlings and small trees to grow to the same level of maturity as the trees that you do take. Well, we're basically just trying to plant as many trees as possible. It's <laughs> Good plan. it's very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm not sure exactly the statistics, but it's very small percentage of trees that are planted actually survive. Mm. And so we also have a maintenance program with that to take care of the trees for up to four years to ensure that they do make it through those early years. But the interesting thing is that the first 25 years of life of the tree are some of the most important and the larger the tree, it can sequester more. It does have more carbon sequestered within it. When we cut the tree, we are actually extending its life in some ways by up to 100 years because Seba, with proper maintenance, the ship will last easily 100 years. And so that carbon remains sequestered in that sort of new life form out on the ocean. Mm. And as it only takes 50 years for a tree in the tropics to grow to maturity and it will last 100 years in the ship, we can be pretty sure that we're actually regenerating this at an accelerated rate. So we're planting every year and it will last longer in the ship. So that's a really regenerative sort of circular economy. Mm. And just a side note, something I'm just really proud of our investors. They're an amazing group of people. Every single one of them has pledged to give 10% of their profits to environmental practices, which is primarily at this point, we're looking at tree planting but it can also be blue carbon. So restoring mangroves or anything else like that, coral reef, really it could be anything. But to give back 10% to the planet in the future when the ship is operating is is a huge impact. And so we were inspired by the 1% for the planet, which is a really wonderful organization. And we said, we're going to do 10 times as much. Sometimes the presence of these big building projects can cause things like noise, air, and water pollution to nearby communities and contribute to environmental injustice. So I'm wondering what your relationship is like with the shipyards nearby communities, and how are you ensuring that this project supports the local community long-term and isn't just about you know going in, taking what you need, doing what you need to do, and then exiting when the work is finished? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Actually, what we have, the shipyard is... Astiero Verde, it kind of translates just to green shipyard, aims to be a model shipyard for the whole world that actually supports and repairs the social fabric of coastal communities. So that's a huge deal for us. So while the ship is for profit, like a triple bottom line for profit company, the shipyard is a non profit association. And so we are located in one of the poorest communities in all of Costa Rica. And we've just been able to bring in a lot of foreign investment and give that out in the form of wages and many other things. Mm. So we're extremely cognizant of that. In terms of water pollution or other types of pollution, we're almost exclusively working with native wood. And so we, we don't really use glues or really too much of anything else. It's very minimal. 
And I think the only thing we have that I could definitely acknowledge is noise pollution. So we're using uh, saws all day, but our neighbors have not complained and we are at the end of a dead end road. So, and this land is a sort of a field. So I would like to know more about what the environmental impact is on birds with using saws, but Mm. I can't specifically comment. What I can say though, is that our neighbor's music is usually way louder all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, definitely you're, you're setting an amazing example of how projects need to be mindful of their impacts on their local communities. And it's not just about extraction of what the companies Mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's something that's really interesting. So we started by leasing the land and the, one of the main, well, there were two reasons we leased the land. One was we didn't have, we don't have the money to purchase it. We are trying to, but we didn't have the money to purchase the land. But the bigger push for leasing was we weren't sure how the community would respond to us. Mm. And if they didn't respond well and they didn't like us and there wasn't support, it would make no sense for us to be there because we depend on them and, and they are the ones building the ship with us together. And so the result of our community looking at us and, and assessing us is that they love us mm. and, and they, they love the project. And so we are actually actively trying to buy the land at this time so that we can perpetuate this shipyard as a model shipyard for this community and for coastal communities around the world. As a leader in this, what do you think will need to inspire other companies to take on this more collaborative approach with their communities that is not founded on exploitation, but on cooperation and on support for one another? Because it seems like a lot of our environmental degradation happening across the world today and the dislocation of Native peoples across the planet, a lot of that is because companies go in and have this sort of exploitative mindset rather than one that respects the people that have lived there for a really long time. I cannot speak to very, very large companies, but startups and medium-sized companies, something that I have seen, I believe it comes from a lack of trust Mm. or trying to safeguard yourself because you can have preconceptions about other people. Or if you are where we are in a financially very poor district, you think, people are going to steal from me or you can think anything, right? Because you're trying to protect yourself and you have a lack of trust and it's having the strength to open up and trust people and ask them, what do you do here? Or how do you do this? That's what we've been able to do. And it was a little bit nerve wracking in the, in the beginning, but it's, it's been so enriching. And I think if more people could let down their guard and just trust a little bit more, you know, take that step. I think it would be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think the exploitative nature can be misunderstood a little bit sometimes. Sometimes it, it is. They, people are going in and they want to make money. But other times, you know, they're, they're literally and physically and figuratively building walls to protect themselves and to protect their investment because it, it might be their livelihood. You know, it might be their entire life's work. But that creates barriers that can be very hard to remove. Mm-hmm. And so if you just start out just with a little trust, I think it goes a long way. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And we're, of course, super excited about Seba coming to life. So how far along are you guys in this work? What are the destinations that Seba will be sailing between? And are there plans to build more so that you can put a dent in this shipping industry? We are 25% down the frames of Seba. And to give a little explanation, a wooden ship is built not unlike some ways like the human body. So you'll have the keel, which is uh, the spine, 
And then you'll have the frames, which are similar to the ribs. And so Seba has 56 ribs, and we have 14 of the largest ones up right now. Mm. And actually, just yesterday, we put up the stem, which is the forward curve. Well, we put up part of the stem, which is the forward curve of the ship, kind of where the figurehead will eventually be. And hopefully tomorrow, the rest of the stem goes up, and it's going to be very, very powerful to see that. So in terms of the build, it's going very well. (laughs) And... And just to give a sense, one frame weighs approximately one ton. And the stem, just that one forward curve, weighs approximately two tons. So everything wow. is is really big. Yeah. <laughs> and then when Seba is sailing, we will be going... So the route developed for this ship will be Costa Rica, up heading towards Canada, and then back down. So we will stop in Hawaii, and then probably Victoria, British Columbia, possibly Port Townsend, which is just near Seattle or uh, San Francisco, so or maybe one, and then the next one next year, and then the west coast of Mexico, and then back to Costa Rica. And and how about future plans? Will, will you be expanding <laughs> upon this? or? So we have very big plans for the future. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but they all, yeah, they all kind of hinge on if we can buy this shipyard. So this is a very recent decision for us that we said, the community does love us and we love them. We want to buy the shipyard. And so with making that decision, it, it's allowed for a lot of possibilities to show themselves. And so we do want to build more ships. We have interest from more interest from Mexico, Canada, U.S., but also Japan and New Zealand uh, and Tasmania. So there are, there's a lot of desire. People really want to ship clean. And so there's definitely possibility of expansion for that. But as well for the shipyard, plans of expansion are really interesting. So we're on a 3.5 acre or 1.4 hectare lot of land. And the amount of possibilities that are that are available to us in this land are almost endless. So something that's become a new part of our realm, I guess you could say, is facilitating funding. So this this is all very new. So we, we set out to build a ship, but really we've built a very strong community. And so we're helping to facilitate funding to people in our community who I mentioned are financially quite poor, but they want to start businesses. They want to, they want to do things. They just need a little seed funding. And so through our nonprofit, we've kind of been able to begin doing that. So there's just a lot for the future, Mm -hmm. but well, Our investors do want yeah. more ships. <laughs> <laughs> we're super excited for all of this. And I mean, with globalization, people are increasingly buying more and more from outside of their own regions, states, countries, and continents. So it's vital that while we encourage people to shop locally more, that we also improve the shipping industry from what it is right now. And because this has to do with crossing international borders or international territories, and there may be a lack of regulation or enforcement of regulations out at sea. What do you think we need most to be able to revolutionize this global and massive industry so that it can support our future green and circular economy? I believe one of the most important things to do when you are purchasing something that's not local is ask if you really need it. And if you do need it, if you can choose an emission-free option, they're very limited at this time, then choose it. In Northern Europe or around different places in Europe and the UK, there are several small companies, so Fair Transport, Timber Coast, New Dawn Traders, and different ones in France as well. Choose them if you can, because I know a lot of people from Canada, the States, and Europe 
they want rum, <laughs> they want chocolate, they want coffee. These things are really important to us. And so those are kind of things we've identified as more almost needs. They're still wants, but they're <laughs> things that we will have. You know, everyone needs coffee. Right. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> I'm and too so, sensitive, but I need tea. <laughs> okay. Yeah, or tea. That's a perfect example as well. Tea was one of the largest commodities, you know, with the tea clippers. And so tea is brought into the UK, you know, and so how, how is that getting there? Mm. But if you just make yourself aware, and something I've seen lately is that transportation carbon footprint or the concept of it, I believe is entering the consciousness of the population right now with more and more studies and conversations surrounding same day or next day deliveries of goods purchased online popping up. So that's encouraging to me that, you know, Amazon or other companies are saying we can deliver it for you next day or same day free. And there are, there are a lot of conversations now saying that that actually has a much higher carbon footprint. And that's something I'm seeing more and more. So I'm hoping that people think about it more. And finally, I feel like when we're talking about shipping cargo, that's more, more of a business to business conversation or transaction where the individual consumer may not be able to directly influence that because if we're buying things locally, even if they're imported, they'll already have gone through that import importation process or the things that we're directly buying from other parts of the world, they're likely shipped by air. Otherwise, it may take weeks or months to get to us. So how do you think we as individuals, beyond obviously voting with our dollars and supporting businesses that are mindful of their impacts, how do you think we can support our cargo shipping industry to continually reduce its emissions, improve its fuel efficiency standards, and transition towards zero emissions as you're proving that is it's possible? I believe that actually voting with the dollar is one of the more powerful things you can do. So if you do go into your your small local corner store where you go to these different places that are selling specialty products, ask them, you know, raise the awareness of your importer or of your distributor, because you're right, it is primarily a business to business transaction. It's not exclusively, but unless you are really, really interested in, in importing your own thing, it's kind of a lot of work. But if you do go into a store, any store that has some of these ethical standards or environmental standards, you can easily ask them to improve those standards. And it's something that the store may not have thought of or may have been unaware of before. And so we are hoping to partner with stores and we're focusing right now on Victoria, British Columbia, but there, you know, really could be anywhere in the world. And we want to partner with these medium-sized stores that have values and want to deliver on these values. And so if people, yeah, encourage that as well, and they speak to their stores about it and just ask to get the conversation going, I think that that helps. And if people are interested and able to uh, become one of your investors, can you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So we are seeking investors all the time. We are really happy to share as much information as possible as a transparent company. If anyone is interested, please email me at info at sealcargo.org. But uh, our investors are people who are looking for a clean future and are looking for a long-term investment. So as an impact investment, this will last easily over 100 years. So it's a multi-generational investment as well, as well as all the tree planting that's associated with it. So there is a full story there and we have a business plan that I love to share with people. So yeah, <laughs> reach out if you're interested in becoming one of our fellow owners of, of this beautiful tall ship, Seba.
Before we go into our final five, I just wanted to mention real quick that if you're relatively new to Green Dreamer and would like my guidance on which episodes to listen to first among the many that are waiting for you, you can head to greendreamer.com slash embark to get my starter guide of our most popular episodes across a wide range of topics as well as some of my personal favorites. Again, that's greendreamer.com slash embark. If you've been around a while and would like to become a patron of the show to support this work, access Access extended content and our Green Dreamer network, you can head to greendreamer.com slash support to learn more. Either way, thank you so much for being here and for your huge heart and dedication. For now, moving on to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? I have to choose actually a photographer. It's Edward Bertinsky who is a photographer who does manufactured landscapes is one of his uh, most famous series of photographs, but he does a series on shipbreaking. And when I saw his photo just mantled in Bangladesh, uh, it changed my perspective. And so I, I really recommend if people want to see, see what's going on out there with this, look up Edward Bertinsky's shipbreaking or any of his photos. And it's, yeah, it's life changing. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I don't really tell myself anything because I'm so inspired by the energy of all the people who work at the shipyard Mm -hmm. that they inspire me. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? We at the shipyard and personally, I'm trying to reduce the amount of meat we eat. So we don't serve that much meat. And that's something I'm learning about as we've had a couple of vegans coming through our shipyard and educating us about that. And yeah, I'm feeling really good. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? Other than revolutionizing the shipping industry. (laughs) Well, I think I'm putting a huge amount of energy into trying to buy this shipyard, whether it's through the nonprofit or through private investors who are interested in purchasing land. And I think if we are able to set this example of what a real good shipyard can do for coastal communities, if we can set that model example just with this one small property, I think it could have a positive impact that spans the whole world. And what makes you most hopeful for our planet and world at the moment? I am so hopeful and so happy to hear that consumers and producers want clean shipping. They are coming to us all the time. And we have letters of intent signed from cargo clients without having solicited anything yet. And that makes me really hopeful. Well, Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on Danielle's work at Sail Cargo, you can head to www.sailcargo.org. And they also have a YouTube channel, so you can follow their YouTube channel and follow along as I believe. Are you guys sharing um, your progress as it's going? So what's happening with the shipbuilding and everything? Absolutely. Yep. We have a film, new film series coming out. We have a new videographer at the shipyard. So yeah, definitely keep an eye on our YouTube, but one of the best places to follow us is uh, Instagram. Our Instagram account is at Seattle Cargo. I'll have all this linked in the show notes as well, so you'll be able to find that at greendreamer.com. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of this wonderful and inspiring information with us. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? <laughs> Just try to inform yourself, try to get the full story and picture, get the full picture of anything and just trying to think outside the box. I think it really helps. <laughs>
Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. To support the show, access extended content, and join our Green Dreamer network, you can head to greendreamer.com support for more information. To receive weekly solutions-driven news around ecological regeneration and intersectional sustainability, you can sign up to our free Green Dreamer Weekly Digest at greendreamer.com. And if you'd like to come say hey to let me know that you're tuning in, you can find me on Instagram at greendreamerpodcast and at Kamea Shane. Finally, as we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.